0: Had an unexpected week off because I didn't really find a lot of time to make a high-quality video for you guys while in Miami, but here we are, back at it again. Hello, I'm Crypto Casey, and welcome to another episode of Last Week Crypto. Every Sunday, we review the performance of the largest cryptocurrencies, top gainers, as well as the latest global news stories affecting the crypto markets this past week. This week, we will discuss how most media we encounter can't be trusted, big shocker, right? Updates on the reverse repo situation, gridlock within most regulatory entities in the US and what it means for crypto, and some of my thoughts on El Salvador's Bitcoin adoption. To check out the links to all of the articles we discuss, go to CryptoKC.com forward slash last week crypto. This week's episode is brought to you by Crypto.com, an exchange with over 100 different cryptocurrencies and over 20 different fiat currencies. On Crypto.com's mobile app, you can buy crypto with bank transfers, credit, debit cards, or crypto at true cost with no markups. They also have a desktop exchange that is solely for crypto-to-crypto trading. If you use the link below to sign up for Crypto.com, you'll receive $25 worth of cryptocurrency for free when you use the referral code CRYPTOCASEY all while supporting the channel. Also, every Wednesday I conduct a weekly AMA or ask me anything at Instagram.com forward slash CryptoCasey. So use the link to my one and only official Instagram account listed in the description area to follow me and ask me anything you want every Wednesday. Awesome. It's time for Last Week Crypto. Looking at the top cryptocurrencies by market cap, Bitcoin down 3.6%, ETH down 10.5%, Binance Coin down 12.9%, and Cardano down 14.9%. Looking at the top gainers this week, AMP up 58.1%, Theta Fuel up 8%, Waves also up 8%, and Chili's up 6.4%. It's been a boring bearish sideways market for a while now, so let's spice things up with further discussions about the underlying foundation of both the global financial system and the crypto markets. But first, I want some input from you guys. In light of all the coordinated manipulation of not only the crypto markets by whales or the price of the dollar and valuations in the stock market by the Fed, but also, big surprise, media and the news on TV, mobile devices, internet searches, newspapers, everywhere. Literally almost everything that seemingly attracts our attention is actually forced in front of our faces regardless of how much you try to avoid it. Recall a few episodes back when we looked at all these articles from all around the internet from Coindesk, Fortune, Bloomberg, Reuters, Economic Times, Financial Times, Investment Magazine, Apple Podcasts, all of these articles using this bizarre gyrations word to describe crypto's price volatility. Yes, it's an absolute racket, and clearly centralized money is doing all the talking to manipulate and drive market sentiment. From social media to the internet at large, and now, unsurprisingly, Check out how hedge funds took over America's struggling newspaper industry. Since 2004, about 1,800 US newspapers have closed. Newspapers have struggled to make money with the collapse of print advertising as readership moved online. Then the digital advertising market quickly became dominated by big, centralized, corrupt tech companies like Google and Facebook. Today, some of the largest newspaper groups in the country, such as Tribune, McClathy, and Media News Group, are owned, controlled by, or in debt to hedge funds or private equity groups. In fact, hedge funds and other financial firms control half of the daily newspapers in the United States, according to a recent analysis by the Financial Times. Lame. So starting next week, I'm going to spend more time on breaking down how the current financial system works, economic theory, past and present policies at play, and when necessary, dig more deeply into any compelling headline news stories for the week. Because clearly all we can bank on the media and news doing is becoming more centralized, more manipulated, and more sensationalized to maintain and increase profits for those diabolical hedge funds and their bloodthirsty fangs. And by Fing, I mean the acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, y'all know, our politicians' puppet masters. And while on the subject of politics, let's ask ourselves what is our greatest national crisis? Denying the great debt crisis. Remember the 2012 Republican National Convention? Back then, the national debt problem was so fundamental to the GOP's platform that the convention's set design showcased a debt clock ticking away in real time, edging closer to $16 trillion. And what are the overarching reasons why the US government is spending itself into an ever deepening fiscal crisis? The simple answer is our government is trying to maintain its status as the world's superpower in a competitive 21st century global economy while modernizing infrastructure and providing for the needs of its people. But the hard truth is that our economy does not generate enough revenue to pay for what is required to do all three. For example, Today the US debt clock shows federal tax revenue at 3.4 trillion dollars. That is a fraction of what the government owes just in unfunded liabilities of 149.2 trillion dollars, payments promised to the American people. Our nation can't continue down this path forever because at some point there will be forced entitlement cuts and worse, national instability. National needs outpacing revenue also dramatically applies to infrastructure. President Biden proposed a 2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill with much fanfare, widening the term's traditional definition. And if the bill manages to pass, it will substantially increase the national debt. The need is there, but the funds are not. Everyone sees crumbling roads, bridges, and now the daunting task of fortifying cyber systems that operate critical infrastructure. The Colonial Pipeline hack showcased our national vulnerabilities to the delight of our enemies. And hey, let's be honest. If you zoom out and take a look at the history of this country, it's not on an ascent. It's absolutely on a descent. The US is descending into a third world country while continuing to spend like a first world country. But the most severe crisis facing our nation is denying the debt crisis. Instead, our weak need leaders are afraid to level with the American people about the implications of rising debt while the government spends at rates that far exceed tax revenue and GDP. When was the last time you heard the president or leaders of either party speak out about this painful issue? Yet, any solution starts with recognizing the problem. The Republican party used to lead on the debt problem, and should again. The government isn't the only one championing this, don't panic, everything is fine and going just as planned narrative, as the Feds reverse repos hit $503 billion, a liquidity drain undoing over 4 months of quantitative easing. And if you don't know what reverse repos are, I dig into what they are and their current situation extensively in last week's video, so you could use the link above to check it out if you're interested. But just so you can keep following along, basically there has been so much cash injected and that continues to be injected into the US financial system that banks literally have nowhere to put the cash. Banks, hedge funds, and other financial institutions are literally bursting at the seams with excess cash to the point where they are actually paying other institutions to take their money. And when entities pay each other to take their money, it creates a zero interest situation. Where instead of, for example, me lending you money that you pay me interest on, I actually give you money and pay you interest to take it from me, hence a negative interest rate. You make money to take the money. So the reverse repo market is the least painful way for the Fed to attempt to avoid market rates from going negative. And as you can imagine, half a trillion dollars in daily reverse repo activity means that things aren't good. Nice. So going back to the don't panic, everything is fine and going just as planned narrative, here's another not necessarily Kool-Aid drinker because here's the deal. All these guys in the government, the Fed, big corporations, they all see the writing on the wall. They're not entirely incompetent. So here's another Kool-Aid pusher, if you will, New York Fed President John Williams. He emphasized repeatedly that the reverse repo system was working really well and exactly as designed, that there were really no concerns about that. And he also shed light on where this tsunami of liquidity came from that the Fed took in. Of course, the banking system. So he explained, when we thought about and set this up, the reverse repo facility a long time ago, we wanted to make sure, in a situation where we're making asset purchases for our monetary policy goals, that the matching increase in liabilities would be distributed in the financial system efficiently and well. And a lot of it shows up in the banking system as reserves, but also some of it can show up through the overnight reverse repo facility. And we have seen that get used quite a bit recently. We expected that to happen. It's working exactly as designed. Really, no concerns about that. It's a system that was put in place so that we didn't have problems. And we're not having them, he said. Man, I don't know about you, but this is strikingly similar to when I don't know. The Titanic scraped up against that iceberg and everyone's like, ah, it's cool. We're good. The ship can't sink. Won't sink. Definitely ain't sinking right now, fam. No way. Not the Titanic. Not on its maiden voyage. Or it's like those movies with the rich dad who's a hedge fund manager or some bigwig in finance whose deal didn't go that great and he's keeping it from his wife and kids who continue to spend crazy amounts of money that they don't have racking up debt while the dad is avoiding phone calls, hiding from people that he hasn't paid. It's nuts. Anyways, as the government continues to print money and push everything is going according to plan-flavored Kool-Aid, another thing they are really bad at but do all the time is argue and fight to push their corporate sponsors' agendas. I mean, think deeply about and carefully consider policies for the greater good of the American people and humanity at large. Unfortunately, this process tends to end up in gridlock, which in most cases isn't good, but in the case of crypto, I think it's great. Let's review a few articles and explore why. Check it out. The Fed explores once-in-a-century bid to remake the U.S. dollar. The idea of creating a fully digital version of the U.S. dollar, which was unthinkable just a few years ago, has gained bipartisan interest from lawmakers as diverse as Senators Elizabeth Warren and John Kennedy because of its potential benefits for consumers who don't have bank accounts. But it's also sparking strong pushback from those with the most to lose, banks. The United States should not implement a central bank digital currency simply because we can or because others are doing so," the American Bankers Association said in a statement to lawmakers this week. The benefits are theoretical, difficult to measure, and may be elusive, while the negative consequences could be severe, the group wrote. Hmm, gridlock between the Fed and the US banks? Bullish. Why? The decision on whether to adopt a central bank digital currency in the United States is appropriately a long way off, BPI president and CEO, Greg Bayer said, there are also complex and serious costs that will need to be considered. Why does this make me bullish? Well, let me reiterate my belief that the US is on the descent, a one-way ticket to becoming a third world country spending like a first world one, and the more time that passes, the more money that's printed, the more debt that's racked up, but more and most importantly, this time affords crypto the opportunity to continue to be developed adopted, and so deeply and pervasively entrenched in not just the financial world, but all aspects of the world, that by the time the government, the Fed, and any US regulatory entities are done pontificating about something they don't understand, like at all, there's not a damn thing they'll be able to do about it except capitulate. Okay, so what are the Fed and banks going to squabble about? Well the banks don't want the Fed controlling a centralized dollar because it renders them useless. No one is going to need to deposit, send, transfer, or withdraw funds using a bank anymore. They will be completely cut out of the equation. But what's in it for the Fed? Do they finally recognize how sinister and predatory banks are? Preying upon both banked and bankless for decades upon decades to line their greedy pockets and only looking out for themselves? (sighs) Ha! Not a chance. The Federal Reserve should continue to explore a digital currency because nearly every other country is doing that, Senator Bill Haggerty said at a hearing. Citing the risk for the US to lose its ability to deploy economic sanctions as effectively with decreased usage of the dollar. Of course, if it's not for profit, it's for power. The banks are fighting for profit, the Fed is fighting for power. But what about the government? Is there consensus between political parties? Elizabeth Warren on behalf of the Democrats Legitimate digital public money could help drive out bogus digital private money while improving financial inclusion, efficiency, and the safety of our financial system, if that digital public money is well designed and efficiently executed," she said at a hearing on Wednesday, which she convened as chair of the Senate Banking Committee's Economic Policy Subcommittee. Alright, so she's for a centralized U.S. dollar. But she's got a contender. What problem is a central bank digital currency trying to solve? In other words, do we need one? It's not clear to me yet that we do, Senator Pat Toomey said. In my view, turning the Fed into a retail bank is a terrible idea. And the fact that China is creating a digital currency does not mean it's inevitable that the Yuan would displace the US dollar as the world's reserve currency, he said. gridlock within gridlock. Excellent. But wait, there's more. Yet another powerful US regulatory entity is becoming a house divided on the crypto front, the Securities and Exchange Commission. SEC's Pierce warns against stifling crypto innovation You can have a pretty effective self-regulation, Pierce said in an interview with the Financial Times. Hester Pierce, one of five commissioners on the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, said in an interview in the Financial Times that overzealous regulation of cryptocurrency in the U.S. could hinder innovation. I am concerned that the initial reaction of a regulator is always to say, I want to grab hold of this and make it like the markets I already regulate, Pierce told the Financial Times. I am not sure that's going to be great for innovation. In the Financial Times interview, Pierce pointed out that self-regulation remains a pretty effective way to address digital assets. A comment the FT suggested exposes a split at the top of the SEC, as its new chair, Gary Gensler, looks to tighten regulation of cryptocurrency. And if you've tuned in the previous episodes, you know how keen SEC Chair Gary Gensler is to impose regulations on crypto, and also impose regulations on traditional stock trading services for the gamification built into the apps. Well, his colleague Pierce disagrees. The SEC commissioner also defended what she called the gamification of capital markets, seen earlier this year when retail traders used the Robinhood platform to drive up the price of shares of video game retailer, GameStop, a phenomenon that is under the scrutiny of regulators. Gamification is not necessarily a bad thing. Making financial platforms more user-friendly is not a bad thing, Pierce said. Platforms like this should look like other platforms in people's lives. Awesome. We've got gridlock between the Fed and the banks. Gridlock between Senators and Congress, gridlock between SEC Commissioners, and I think this gridlock will be great for crypto. I mean it's a win-win. We've got the government and regulatory entities doing what they do best, which is mostly nothing, very badly, very laggardly. And when they do manage to do something, it's mostly nothing, very badly, very laggardly. All the while, crypto gets a chance to give COVID a run for its money with its mutations, virality, and overall lethality to the current global financial system. Cool. So as the value of crypto increases or decreases in these crazy times, make sure you are transferring your crypto off of exchanges to hold safely in a cold storage hardware wallet. You can scroll down to the description area below to access the correct and official sites of my recommended hardware wallets. BC Vault is my personal favorite. Another option is the Ledger Nano Backup Pack, so scroll down to check them out. Or if you would rather make income from your idle digital assets you're planning to hold for the long term, you can safely earn interest with services provided by BlockFi. With a BlockFi interest account, your cryptocurrency can earn up to 8.6% APY. Interest accrues daily and is paid monthly. There are no hidden fees and no minimum balances. So if you're interested in learning more about BlockFi, you can get up to a $250 Bitcoin bonus when you use the link in the description area to sign up, all while supporting the channel. Protecting your ability to generate income so you can buy more crypto is another important thing to consider. So if you'd like to learn more about the advanced technical concepts of blockchain and become a developer in the space, check out Ivan on Tech's Academy. If you use the link below, you can sign up for the Academy at a discounted price. So scroll down to check it out. Sweet. All right, I'm going to touch on some of my thoughts about El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin and the kickback they're getting from the International Monetary Fund. So El Salvador, definitely bravo on full-on adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender. I think it's a small domino that later down the road could have significant effects on other countries' decisions to follow suit. I mean the pros are a no-brainer, as it looks like over 70% of the population have no access to banks. This could also attract foreign investors, and their vision to utilize clean geothermal energy to set up a robust bitcoin mining operation is great, of course. I don't think there are really any cons, just a couple of concerns. 1. I've seen some narratives describing how El Salvador's leader, Nayib Bukele, may have made the declaration as a publicity stunt to distract from his authoritarian tendencies. I don't have a comment on that one way or another right now as I would need to do more research to make my own judgment. The other snafu is with the IMF or International Monetary Fund. It looks like El Salvador is seeking $1 billion in funds from the International Monetary Fund. And some analysts have warned that Bukele's sudden decision to embrace Bitcoin could complicate those discussions. An IMF spokesperson said Thursday that the move raises a number of macroeconomic, financial, and legal issues that require very careful analysis, and that the organization would discuss its concerns with Bukele. So I find this a little perplexing, because without breaking down how the IMF or International Monetary Fund works, here's the cliff notes of the way I see it. The IMF is basically a fund that consists of a mix of currencies from the world's most powerful countries like the US, UK, France, Germany, etc. And they will approach smaller third world countries and be like, yo, it looks like you need some help. Specifically, it looks like you could use this really expensive, I don't know, water filtration system that could be built right about here, and it'll take up, you know, all this land right here, and I know you can't afford it, but don't worry, we are going to lend you the money from this international monetary fund that totally exists for the greater good of humanity. Not to, you know, put less developed countries into so much debt that we actually end up pretty much stealing this land and stuff, this thing you needed is built on. Yeah, no way, we don't do that. So how this is going to work is we're going to finance this thing and all you gotta do is pass on the debt repayment of this loan onto your citizens. And if, or definitely when, the tax burden becomes so unbearable, don't worry about it. This land and stuff is collateral. So if you can't pay it, The land covers it. Legalized theft? Sure, sometimes maybe the IMF does good deeds, but for the most part, it's legalized theft, allowing more powerful affluent countries to steal land and resources from weaker, poorer countries under the guise that they are helping them build infrastructure for the greater good of their people. So when the leader of El Salvador is in one breath adopting Bitcoin as legal currency to help his people, while in another breath is trying to secure a $1 billion deal with the International Monetary Fund, That in the end, whatever the money is used for will 100% become a burden of those very same people he's supposedly trying to help. That just seems a bit contradictory. However, before you berate me in the comments, I do need more time to dig into what El Salvador needs from the IMF deal, and also learn more about their leader, Bukele, before forming a more researched and thoughtful opinion on the matter. Awesome. Well, that was Lastly Crypto, with me, Crypto Casey. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to like this video and subscribe to my channel for more crypto content. To check out the links to all of the articles we discussed, go to CryptoCasey.com forward slash last week crypto. So do you think the gridlock among US regulatory entities will be bullish for crypto? Or do you think it will be bearish in the long run? What are your thoughts on the El Salvador and IMF situation? Let me know in the comments below. Be safe out there.